0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has thousands upon thousands of retail locations all over the United States and they offer great batteries, right? Now, I got a buddy who is kind of a car nut, a truck nut, and he told me that, I guess on the research that he's done for car batteries, Interstate Battery car batteries and truck batteries are some of the highest quality most reliable truck batteries that they have on the market I don't know anything about it it's just what my buddy told me so if you're looking for a new car or truck battery you need to go to your local retail uh, interstate battery retail shop and go pick one up because I guess they're badass so I know I have one in my truck other than that If you have TV remote controls, Interstate Batteries makes a battery for that. They make batteries for your rangefinder, your trail cameras, and basically any other electrical device, for the most part, that you use uh, while hunting or fishing or being outside. They also have a whole bunch of other little knick-knack products, too, like uh, uh, my buddy Dan Spano. Uh, He is uh, uh, a manager for his family's interstate battery retail location he got me some of these cool flashlights that have switches on them one of them looks like a lantern so they have a whole bunch of that stuff too if you want to find out more information about the kind of batteries that interstate batteries makes head on over to interstatebatteries.com or visit your local retail store
1: Welcome to the Land and Legacy
2: Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you.
1: All right, guys, welcome back Legacy. Land and Legacy. Woo, I can't even say our name. Um Land and Legacy Podcast, special uh special treat for you this week. Gonna hear Absolutely. back from Frank and Kyle. Kyle Hedges, Frank Long Carriage consultants for Land and Legacy. Um they are oh gosh, a long, uh a very in depth, very educational, tons of information from these guys. Um, years and years of experience, but they're gonna be chatting with you guys um this week. Um
2: Here's the thing that I love about them and their approach is it's kind of like if you talk with a hunter, a deer hunter, and you talk with a trapper, you know, a yep. deer hunter, they w- they want to get within like 40 yards uh, of their game. A trapper uh-huh. wants, wants the, the paw of inches. whatever. Inch, yeah, they're talking a yep. game of inches. A lot of times w- when you hear Kyle and Frank talk, it's kind of that same comparison as we talk a lot about you know landscapes and ecosystems and managing them and how game are going to utilize them and you know just be historical data
1: and manipulating the landscape with restoration
2: sometimes when they talk specifically on upland game bird management upland management we're talking very very specific spaces that have to be there um I, and, you know, plants, like individual plants that have almost to be present, grit.
1: They're almost 220 grit. They're pretty fine. Yeah, they're pretty fine, fine to, um, in tuned in their information as <laughs> yeah. far as, like, the details. Um, you know, we talked it's a good last week maybe about 80 grit or maybe it was It your, was last week. Yeah, 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 so we talked about 80 grit. And they do some things at uh, 80 grit. But coming from a from a background where they work so much with upland game birds, um,
2: and and sp- the spatial oh. factor that that they bring to the table when managing quail that have, you know, we're talking different home ranges, different usages and, and travel, you know, 40 yards to a quail is, is, is much different to 40 yards from a wild turkey or a deer. So the, the finite details that they bring to the table um, in managing landscapes is awesome.
1: And it's not only, like, let's just say, because they're not just upland guys; they're diehard deer hunters and turkey yeah. hunters as well. Um, but they, their way of managing specifically on some of these public lands for upland birds, have created phenomenal deer and turkey hunting as well, because the habitat is so great because it's managed so intensively for upland birds that the deer and turkey flourish because
2: yeah, oh man, it's, it's
1: way still, better than, than yeah. some of the other properties, or than a lot of the properties around. Like, if you go to some of the places managed, managed by these guys, you're going to be in, drooling looking at how uh, great it is. So, tons of information, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. But before yeah. we kick it over to them, remember, we just launched our virtual property tours. Um, kind of a online... Almost like an online college course, Um, but it's more of an interview and and exchange between us uh, for us to help you on your property um, to avoid uh, consultation fees or us having to go to your property. So we work really in-depth with with you through that. Go to the website, LandAndLegacy.tv, to check it out. Also just talked about it this week so go check our other podcast out when we talk about our consulting or our real estate services um and consulting that you can you can use no matter what state you're in
2: does it not matter we're talking kansas iowa indiana georgia kentucky tennessee you name it we'll be there and help out for sure we've got our ways sip louisiana in july yeah I've been, we've been there twice, twice, now and I don't want to go back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you guys are on your own. Sorry on that. Oh, one. we will be at the Whitetail Weekend in March yeah, at uh, definitely. Athens, definitely. Athens, Georgia, with QDMA. May. So if you haven't signed up, or you are thinking about that? I go think, check it out. I don't
2: think it's quite open yet for, okay. for registration. They're still. Did I let the cat the, out of the back too early? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> they'll they'll just be uh, a long line waiting at the door. Let's say to get in and get tickets online. But that is that is. March is not far away. It's just not. No. So we we have got to really start preparing for that and NWTF, too. That oh, yeah. will be we'll a be fun there. fun event. Mid-February, Nashville, Gaylord Opryland Hotel. Yep. We'll have, and a, resort. we'll have a booth there. Come by and check us out and uh a lot of cool things happening.
1: All right, guys. Uh enjoy
3: Frank and Kyle.
4: Kyle hedges here again.
3: Hey guys, Frank lawn carriage.
4: Hey, we're going to talk to you today about uh, prairie chickens and sharp-tailed grouse. We um, Hopefully you listened to our previous podcast. Um, we were out in Wyoming, eastern Wyoming, and hunting sage grouse and, and blue grouse. Well, on our way home, we were making a multi-species trip out of this. We were coming right through Nebraska, um, southwest Nebraska, and Frank had a good connection on some a big private ranch that uh, has a lot of prairie chickens on it. Uh, we decided to stop in there. We hunted one afternoon and just a few hours this morning. So a little bit of road noise if you hear in the background. We're traveling home from a multi-day western hunt. Yep,
3: yep. Yeah, yeah, this was a, a hunt where um, we had the possibility of of taking home four different species of grouse. And we were able to do it. So yesterday... Um, we were hunting sharptails in this morning, or excuse me, we were hunting prairie chickens yesterday and this morning. Uh, but on this particular ranch, there is a small number of sharp-tailed grouse. This part of Nebraska that we're in, that we're hunting, is really on the southern edge of sharp-tailed grouse. So the vast majority of birds that we saw were, were prairie chickens. In fact, we only saw one sharp-tailed grouse, and I was able to harvest it. So we we're able to get four grouse species out of this trip.
4: Yep, pretty neat. That doesn't happen every day or, you know, any, any trip. A lot of times you're just going after one species and the opportunity to get multiple species like that is, is pretty neat. So we're going to talk to you a little bit about the habitat, of course. Uh, we always like to cover some of that and we're going to uh, share a little bit of just about how the hunt went and, and some of the conditions we dealt with and, and some of the adjustments we had to make. And, Again, I'll make reference back to the the Wyoming podcast. If you listen to that, um, we're both going to admit we are not blue grouse biologists. Right. We, Absolutely. Uh, we got schooled by the blue grouse, partly probably because of the population levels, but also we just got schooled somewhat. Yeah, yeah. We can accept defeat. That's okay. Sometimes right. that's going to happen. Prairie chickens are a little different thing here for us. Um,
3: yeah.
4: Uh, I've spent... Several years in the northern Flint Hills um, after college, working on landscapes that had quail, pheasants, and prairie chickens, so did quite a bit of prairie chicken habitat management. Even in southwest Missouri, where I'm currently uh, located now, I had prairie chickens on on a few of my areas for several years. They blinked out, oh, about 10 years ago, but that's kind of happened all across the state, and we'll address more of that, too, in, in this podcast. Frank, yeah.
3: Frank, go ahead. Eat. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of uh, earned my biologist chops, so to speak, on greater prairie chickens. I worked on greater prairie chickens in Kansas for my master's degree work, uh, earned my master's doing prairie chicken survival and movements in, in the Flint Hills. And then when I came to Missouri and, and began to work for the Department of Conservation, I was um, placed on the prairie chicken recovery team, uh, Missouri's chicken population had gotten to critically low levels. We were down to a few isolated populations and we were starting to get to some genetic bottlenecks there. And the population really needed an infusion of new genetics and it needed an infusion of new blood. So uh, I was as a part of that team because of my experience in Kansas working on my master's. we, uh, We went out and Kyle I think went one time, I guess, but yep. um, spent five years trapping prairie chickens in the Flint Hills, or excuse me, the Smoky Hills of Kansas to release back in Missouri in the southwest, west central part of the state. And then I spent two years or two seasons working in Nebraska trapping greater prairie chickens for release in, in northern Missouri. So the prairie chicken is is a is a species that's close to my heart. I've worked... Um, for since 2003, or well, excuse me, since 2001, in some aspect of prairie chicken research or management, and um, I just absolutely love the species. They're charismatic. They've got an elaborate breeding display that is, if you've had a chance to see it, is is just awesome. If not, I would recommend trying to trying to see it. Um, and they are a prairie species. Prairie. I'm, I'm a prairie person at heart, and they are they are prairie grouse. And so, um, the opportunity to study them was was phenomenal the opportunity to to help with the population of missouri was also great and the opportunity to hunt them is always fun
4: yeah and i've i've had hunting experience uh, as well as like i said the management experience and some trapping experience as well i've hunted them a fair amount in kansas i've hunted them a couple times in nebraska before this trip so
3: yeah i've i've hunted them in kansas so and we'll talk about this the prairie chicken hunting is kind of is kind of a is kind of t- different than than maybe other upland bird hunting um, prairie chickens and sharptail grouse they are they're, they're a wide open prairie species they use their uh, flight abilities to to escape they're not one that hunkers down like a covey of quail mite. they're not one that runs like a pheasant mite their their ability to get away from predators is predicated on their vision so they can be very spooky so most of them uh, are harvested in the wintertime as they're flying into feed fields. So prairie chickens and sharp-tailed grouse in the wintertime fly into feed fields, which are can be anything from an alfalfa, wet meadow in Nebraska, to uh, milo corn, soybeans um, throughout the Midwest. And people pass shooting like you're hunting du- ducks or doves. Um, in the early season, so starting in September, there's a lot of states, so from Kansas north of the to North Dakota, they have an early prairie chicken or prairie grouse season. The birds are in smaller groups. They're less spooky. You can approach them with the bird dog and you can actually get some points and, and some, some some fun hunting that way. So I've hunted them both ways in Kansas, the past shooting, traditional way, and then the, the early season, of course, hunting over dogs. Yeah, and
4: most, uh, most of both of ours experiences is the early season. Um, the, the flying into fields is kind of fascinating for anybody that's ever done that or, or heard about it. Um, when you see them flying into a field, and, and that's we're not going to address much of this beyond what I'm going to say right now, because that's not how we're hunting them, but if you see birds flying into a field, prairie chickens, say flying into Milo stubble at 9.07 in the morning in December 10th or whatever, you can be there tomorrow at 9.05 and set up and they're going to fly over the same spot yeah, at 9.07. Right. It yep. is a fascinating deal. So basically people get them patterned, they time it, they get there, boom, 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 you get a few shots. Yep. Uh, I can tell you they are flying really fast sometimes yes. depending on how far out into that field they're going to go. Um, it looks like they're just a balloon up there but they'll fly 50 60 miles an hour yeah, sometimes it's, so.
3: it's, it's amazing a lot of times they've got elevation that they're coming off of a high hill flying down into a valley or flying down into a field and they're just they're smoking yes it's, it's a it, it's a fun way to hunt it's challenging
4: yeah, and then, so if you know if you have luck and do that, well now you've disrupted that routine. So the next day you can't go to the exact same spot at the same time typically. They may come to that feed field, but now they're gonna come in from the west side instead of the south side, or they will adjust it. They may change their time. And it's just a fascinating bird, that feeding behavior and how specific of a time they'll stick to. But what we were doing, in this early season so it's the last week of september actually today's the last day of september so we were already going to be coming through uh nebraska traveling on an i-80 and frank had an insight on on a landowner and he yeah. was willing to give us permission to hunt and yeah tens of thousands of acres of of good you know mixed grass uh prairie
3: yeah sort um, of sand, southern end of the sand hills nebraska sand hills um Uh, most people think of the Nebraska Sandhills and and Sharptail and and frayed chicken hunting around Valentine and Halsey and places like that. And there are certainly lots of birds there. We were just kind of on the south end of that coming through and happened to have a contact. And we're so appreciative of this landowner um, allowing us to hunt. And he even put us on birds this morning that we never would have found without his help. So much, much appreciation to to him. Yep. So so, kind of
4: um, a little background to how this played out, and a little, I guess, explaining. Yesterday, we're traveling in the morning, so we knew we were gonna have yesterday afternoon, and, and then this morning to hunt. We were only gonna have two half days to hunt, and even this morning, we, we weren't even gonna have a full half day, so. We were in kind of a time crunch, but we, we wanted to give it a go. We were gonna be coming right through here, so we roll in yesterday around noon, and it's 75 degrees yeah, every
3: bit of it Yep.
4: and the wind is blowing easy a straight 30.
3: yeah and gusting to 40.
4: yeah it was terrible And it was conditions.
3: out of the south and so you can imagine how how hot and windy and dry the the almost the absolute worst conditions that i would choose to hunt upland game birds um yeah. would be yesterday's conditions <laughs> they, i mean i if i lived in western Nebraska, I would stay home and watch football yesterday instead of going yeah. to hunt prairie grouse.
4: Terrible for the dogs, too hot, just, you know, not not good. But what are you going to do? You yeah, know, I mean, we're, we're 10, 12 hours from home. We're going to hunt. So we, uh, one of the, the strategies for, for hunting this time of year is the birds will hang around the leks? That's where they boom. That's where they do their mating ritual in the spring. And so, a lot of these males, anyway, uh, but sometimes even the females and, and broods will be not too far away. Uh, right. But there, there seems to be concentrations around these leks. They'll, they'll gather at these leks in the fall right now and, and kind of establish their pecking order. They, they have a real complex hierarchy system of of who is in charge and even though they all live together it's kind of a unique thing as well and you know, no different than turkeys I guess right. but, but a little more extreme maybe with prairie chickens and so they hang around these leks so you got to figure out where the leks are yeah. um, and and if you've never hunted this place if you've never been on this place luckily Frank had a little intel on, on where some of the leks were but uh, even without that it's somewhat predictable you're looking for uh, in the Flint Hills, lots of times in Kansas, it'd be the you know real high ridges. It's going to be shorter grass. They're not going to do their display and, and and fighting with each other in, in grass that's knee high. I mean, it's going to be pretty open spots, Well yeah,
3: open ridge tops, something that's overgrazed, something yep. like that. So they can get a lot of visual. Um, they can be seen a long ways, and then they can hear because they're they're making a sound, a booming sound. That needs to carry, and so they are—they're trying to get this—this this elevation. And the lek is really the—the the life history center of a prairie chicken. Is—is is the lek. This is where everything occurs. And so they spend almost every month of the year. They'll come to the lek at some point. Maybe not in July, early August, but at some point during the year, these leks are important. And so, they're going to be hanging around them somewhere.
4: Yep. And out here where we're at, it's a little different than than where I've been in the Flint Hills. The ridge tops here have have quite a bit of grass on them. So, right off the bat, um, the le- that's not where the leks are going to be for the most part. Yeah but, yeah. but if you think about it, so where are some areas that are going to be you know real short overgrazed? Well, out here in Southwest Nebraska, it's going to be couple things we found <clears throat> windmills right yep. that's where the water source is so the cows are coming in there it's overgrazed. well guess what that's where several leks are on yep. this property um, yeah
3: windmills always seem to have a lek at each windmill yep and and the the second part of it was
4: uh is prairie dog towns some of the prairie dog towns were associated with windmills so it just made it a bigger short right. grass area but some aren't and Once again, we praised Onyx Maps for our Wyoming part of this trip. It marks Prairie Dog Town. So literally looking at a private ranch that we've never hunted in Onyx Maps, and we can identify probably some leks just by these Prairie Dog Town locations.
3: Yep, yep. These leks showed up, or these Prairie Dog Towns showed up, and these windmills showed up on Onyx. And if you've never been to a place, if if you're hunting in this part of, of, of the world, and you see on onyx, this is a prairie dog town that's marked, or this looks like a windmill, there's a pretty good chance there's a lek there. And even if you're hunting in September, like we said, the birds are going to come to the lek. And if you show up at, say, noon or one o'clock, there's no birds on the lek, because they show up early in the morning, do their thing, and they show up again in the evening. So in the afternoon or late morning, if you show up and there's there's no birds there, You can quickly look around. So walk around these these potential lexites, these windmills, these prairie dog towns. And if you start to see droppings, you start to see feathers because these birds are going to fight. They're going to lose feathers. You can identify, hey, this is probably a lexite just by the sign that's left there. And so this is probably a pretty good place to start. And I can start planning my hunt from there.
4: Yep. And that's exactly what we did. We rolled into the very first windmill. Also had a prairie dog town associated with it. We get out. What do you know? We find droppings, we find feathers, we find everything we need tells us, hey, there's birds here somewhere.
3: Yeah, so we, we identify this and we think, okay, well let's use our knowledge as biologists that we've gained over the years and also as prairie chicken hunters that we've gained over the years and let's start to hunt these ridgetops. So a lot of times when they're not right at the lek, the males will move off of the lek and go to the Go to the ridge tops. Go to the areas that are a little bit shorter vegetation and feed. They're looking for grasshoppers this time of year, and of course forbs and greens are still very, very important. So, and the ridge tops afford a lot of visibility. So the first thing we did is there was a ring of ridge, kind of a, a ring of, of high ridges that kind of surrounded this this lek, and we started walking that. And Kyle, this wasn't probably the best idea for this particular hunt absolutely not so we're
4: walking along and we're walking along we haven't seen anything we saw a few antelope but we haven't seen any any prairie chickens and i don't know what was we probably made a couple mile loop out of this anyway yeah it's hot and it's windy and the dogs are already hating us for this because it's yep but we both haven't been around prairie chickens enough and haven't done management on prairie chickens and and we've hunted them um we're about three quarters through this and you know we're spaced out we're hunting 70 80 yards apart but we kind of come together and we both look at each other and said it's way too thick yep way too thick The the little blue stem is up to mid thigh Yep. they've had a bunch of rain out here i don't you know if people are aware but a lot of the west didn't have near as bad of Western uh, fire season this year because it was a wetter year, yeah, which is yeah. great. You don't want people's property and houses burning up out west, but it made the vegetation grow up. Yep. And prairie chickens don't want to hang out in that stuff, especially if it's 75 degrees. Yeah,
3: absolutely not. And and, and prairie grouse, prairie chickens and sharptails both, if, if you're used to hunting pheasants and you're used to hunting tall grass, tall, you know, CRP that's thigh to to, to waist high, you're probably wasting your time on prairie grass. You've got to get out of that mode of thinking. Not all game birds like this thick thick grass that we've talked about. And we've talked about it on quail podcast. Quail don't like thick grass. And the same thing with the birds that spend its whole life on the prairie. This grass can get too thick. And this year, this ranch, and again, much credit goes to the landowner. He manages his property in a way that he's managing it for conditions that they normally have so if they have a wet year he's not going to bring in a bunch of cattle and really graze it down he's going to continue keeping his stocking right knowing that next year hey it may it may be dry it may be a drought and so he really takes great care of his grass he has a ton of grass left over the winter there's going to be tons of residual cover winter survival is probably going to be really great for these prairie grouse, and he really t- takes great care of his ranch but bottom line First walk, doing what we normally would do on an early season prairie chicken hunt, way too thick, didn't work out. What's kind of funny too
4: is you know you and I have never prairie chicken hunted together.
3: No. We've hunted right. a lot of stuff no.
4: together, but we've never prairie chicken hunted together. I've done it, he's done it, but we've never done it together. Yep. But we both immediately, well not immediately, we walked longer than we should have, but we were kind of once you commit to a loop like that, we yeah were, you're kind of stuck. We were kind of stuck to finish it out anyway, but. We both came to the same conclusion this is way too thick we got to do something different we got to figure something out so we stepped back and said well let's go let's go check out the next windmill let's go check out the, the the next you know potential lex site and we pull in there and and as we're driving into this um we realize Hey, right around the windmills, overgrazed. Right, it's a pool table. Cats yep. They spend
3: a lot of time there.
4: That's where they're going to dance and do their stuff, and we're not going to be able to shoot them there. There's just no cover.
3: Can't but, get close to them.
4: But then there's this kind of this 200 yard radius of medium graze stuff outside this overgrazed right around the right around the water tank. So you kind of have this transition zone of medium graze before you get into all this. Little blue stem up to our mid thigh. Yeah, so. And,
3: and so the cool thing about this transition zone of medium grazed grass or, or medium grazed pastures, we got to looking there was quite a bit more diversity there as far as weedy growth. Um, there was some annual weeds there. There were some um, some some forbs, some typical prairie forbs, some coneflowers, some liatris, some lead plant, and whatnot. But it was a lot lot more annual weeds than, say, out in the main prairie and then certainly more than, than the overgrave. So this real, real diverse kind of growth that had a lot of insects that you would really think, hey, this is this is a good, you know, if I was a prairie chicken, I would have all the resources that, it, that I need right here.
4: Yep. So we strike out. We say, hey, let's let's make this adjustment. We're going to, let's make a swing through that. We'll just kind of walk this this outer radius around this this water hole and see if anything works you know um again still brutal conditions yeah we're we're thinking at this point if we we'll probably see some birds somewhere they may get up at 100 yards we're gonna be lucky to when it's windy like that they get skittish and it's it just makes it really tough and of course you're not gonna get much dog work either but we strike out around there sure enough couple pop up long we don't get shots at them but you know, we don't go another three or four hundred yards making that circle and one gets up and I kill it. Yep, yep. Hey, maybe maybe we're on to something. Yep. Maybe know?
3: we've figured something out.
4: And, and you never know. I always say you catch one fish, it could be a fluke. You catch two fish, the same depth, the same lure, the same thing, I probably got a pattern. Right, so right. We're we're thinking maybe we're on to something, but we got to confirm that. Yep. We, we got to go to the next windmill. We've got
3: more windmills to check out to try to confirm this pattern. And so off we go to the next windmill. And lucky for us, there were two-track uh, trails that went from windmill to windmill, and the landowner gave us permission to drive down the two tracks, and which, which saved us a oh, bunch because, because the landscape between windmills may have had some chickens somewhere in there, but it would have been, I mean, so you're, I mean, this is a, a 14 15,000 acre plus ranch and it's just vast amounts of sand hills as far as you can see that all look the same. So you've got to try to narrow your search pattern down. And so it was lucky for us we were able to, to drive you know within a quarter of a mile of a windmill before we started which which really helped a lot.
4: Oh and yeah, I mean some of these are over a mile apart. I mean if we were hiking all this, we'd yeah. have been done, the dogs would have been done. So the other nice thing with this with this terrible conditions and this hot and, and wind is now we're making these shorter loops so we're able and we're at windmills right so mm-hmm. there's plenty of water of course we had water in the truck for the dogs too but uh we're able to make these shorter little 30 minute circles and um
3: yeah give the dogs give a break
4: dogs between a break. give us a break it's hot it's windy we're we're on day four we've been hunting three days in wyoming yep. you know our, our feet are a little beat up and so off we go to the next one to try this again and and uh i think we were about 80 percent around the loop mm-hmm. we were yeah and uh, boom one pops flies to the left a little long yeah it um, got
3: up about 40 35 to 40 yards by the time i reacted it was a 40 to 45 yard shot and on prairie grouse that's not i mean that's that's about right that's about typical and i took a crack at it and, and didn't hit it which isn't and st- which isn't surprising, right? Yep, yep,
4: and and so then Frank takes about three more steps, and one gets up right in front of him, flying pretty much dead away, and
3: a little quartering away. But yeah, one of those where I was just putting a shell in my gun, and I got up, and I was I was on it. It was one of those where you see it in your head, you see it in your mind. That okay, I've got the perfect lead. This, and all I've got to do is slap the trigger. I mean, it's it's coming. <laughs> Right, He's already got one chicken in the bag. I don't have my chicken yet. Yep. And I'm I'm just fixing to slap the trigger, and the thing crashes out of the air magically, right? Yep. Like yep. it hit a stone wall. I don't know what happened. So, yeah, it's
4: his bird. It's right in front of him, and um, I've got a crossing shot because I'm 30 yards off to his right. And Hey, I told him. I didn't know what he was doing. He might have been reloading his gun. He might have been... Doing who knows what. Yeah. I didn't know what he was doing over there. And so we had a little ribbon over that. But I, uh, yeah, I short shot him pretty bad.
0: Yeah. Smoked yeah.
4: it right right out from in front of him. But, yep. hey, with good buddies, there's, uh, that's just how the game's played sometimes. Yeah, sometimes
3: so. that goes on. And I'll <laughs> remember that. I mean, that's something I'll remember. Well, yeah, I'm, well, sh- it, I'm sure I'll
4: get payback for it.
3: And if I don't pay him back, I'll remember it and, and hold it over his head for yeah. For a long time. Well, I still, still don't. Know, I
4: still don't feel bad about it. So.
3: Oh, I didn't. I know you didn't when it happened.
4: Nope, nope. Worked out just fine for me. I yeah. thought so. And so, hey, yeah. The, the advice is, you better be quick to get your gun to your shoulder. Yeah. When yeah. I was a kid, I was telling Frank and I had this conversation after I short shot him. We had this conversation at the motel. You know, we we spoil our kids. I've tried to get them lined up. Here's a dog on point or whatever, yeah. and yep. shoot. When I was a kid, and we were quail hunting. First of all, I'd be the one sent into the thicket to flush them out, uh-huh. so I'm completely out of position. And secondly, there was no mercy. If you couldn't <laughs> get your gun to your shoulder quick enough to outdraw my dad and his buddies, well, the quail were falling everywhere, <laughs> and there I was just standing there. Yeah. So I guess I was raised that way. So I've, uh.
3: you know, I've been in some of those situations, and I and I tease my dad a little bit about this. I remember one time I. Uh, my dad and my cousin, we were hunting in western Kansas, and there was a little patch of, of tall kosher weed, if you've ever hunted out there, it's a tall weed that pheasants really like to bur- burrow into, so I was, I was right in the middle of that kosher patch, I don't know, I was 14 or 15, and my dad and my cousin were on either side of it, kind of standing on a hump, and I was right in the middle of that kosher patch, and there was, I don't know, we got them hemmed up at the very end, and their pheasants were coming out of here, one rooster after another. And every time I drew down on, on a rooster, it would fall. Every time. I went through three to four roosters that I drew down on, and every one of them crashed, hit the ground. And they were smiling when I came out of that ditch. They were proud of themselves. And I wasn't very proud of them, but hey. Um, but no, now. No mercy. No mercy back then. Um, they, they were, you know, they were good to get me on pheasants and get me on quail and do all that but that particular time i remember there was there was no mercy and now but caleb killed his my son killed his his first bob white last year dogs went on point i got caleb up there got him in front of me and and got him in all position and and um covey quail gets up and he kills one so um we kind of spoil him a little bit but
4: i guess i think part of it is the population was so much stronger oh, back yeah. then that you know our dads didn't have to line us up and give us the shot because they knew we were going to get in 10 coveys a day yeah. so hey it was every man for himself and eventually the kid would get a few shots off yeah. too you know so yeah. but anyway we So had... anyway
3: he back to it he short shoots me yeah we're heading back to the truck so we got an i don't know we got another couple hundred yards back to the truck and he's talking and i'm not saying a whole lot i'm just still trying to think about it and and uh so we get to the truck, and, and we head on to the next leg. And so it wasn't long, and my we, we head, head over to the next leg, and um, sharp tail flushes, and I kill this sharp tail right out of the air, dead, right?
4: Yeah, Shoot him, right, yeah. yeah. Knock him right out. Olympic shooting team is what this was, yeah.
3: Yeah, so I knock this sharp tail. He gets up at the, I don't know, probably 30 yards, and missing the first shot and he's flying out there and i knock him down the second shot i didn't knock him down i winged him and he sails out there and then crashes so we got a good we got a good location so here's the thing about prairie grouse so i've seen this with sharp tails seen this with greater prairie chickens and with sage grouse they are they're a bird that that is not extremely tough if you get a couple of pellets in them a lot of times they'll go down right then. If not, and if they sail a little bit and they go down, if that happens on a pheasant, it's running. It's taken off.
4: Yeah, they hit. They got Scooby-Doo legs yeah. on the way down. They're already spinning and they're going.
3: If a prairie grouse, you wing it or you drop a leg and it, you know, flies another 80 yards and lands, crashes. It's going to be right there. You yep. just got to keep a mark on it. And get your dog there, because it's going to be there. And um, so that's what happened with this. Walk out there. Um,
4: well, oh, yeah, but the story doesn't end there. No. The so old, The old wing tippet was actually one pellet in the liver, I think.
3: <laughs> yeah, so Kyle's dog, Kyle's, Kyle's dad dog actually goes around and, and points this this bird. And I think the bird is.
4: Yeah, we're thinking it's dead. lung Pellet in the lung or something. that yeah. probably, you know, flew hundreds. hundred yards and crashed that's going to be laying there dead yeah
3: well little did i know that it's not dead it gets up and it's just flying barely grass top high the dog's on its tail and i'm worried about shooting because i don't want to hit the dog i mean that's the most important thing of your your hunt is safety and so we're always conscious of that so this bird is flying low the dog's on his tail and it finally clears where i can get a shot and i'm I guess I'm, I'm still focusing, kind of being careful about where the dog was, and I really didn't bear down, and and so bottom line is I missed this bird, and it three could, three more times. Let's tell them that. Anyway, <laughs> I missed this bird. We, we don't have to talk. I mean, that's not a necessary part of the story, right? Uh, it is in my story. Well, yeah. Bottom line is I missed the bird, right? Yep. So it goes. I don't know, it goes maybe another 80 yards, goes over a little rise, but then we don't see it come back out of the bowl. Think, okay, it's over there again, so let's truck over there. This time we go over there, the dog goes on point and picks it up. It's dead. It's stone dead. It, it had just made it over the ridge, and it was stone dead when we got there. So I don't know. It Sometimes that happens. Yep. Nope. Bottom line is, though, I got my sharp tail grouse
4: well right. and and as the for the entire hunt for both of us that completed the the four species you know yes. the, the maximum possible species we were going to kill on this trip and we really didn't know if we'd pick up a sharptail that was just going to be a real bonus that would have been an
3: extreme bonus to get a sharp.
4: so tail. so we got it so overall he got a bird now he's not whining so much about me short shooting yeah. him he's got a sharpie and so so life's better um, we continue on, I guess. We checked a couple more windmills and yeah. had some birds flush long and, and then stumble into one more and, and I finish a limit. Yeah, so.
3: and it was it was extremely tough conditions. I mean, we're still talking 75 degrees with, with hot, yep. hot wind, strong wind, low humidity. So dog, the smelling conditions were terrible. The birds were getting up long. They were getting up at the edge of range. It was it was again one of those days where if you're a a resident in the in a prairie landscape where you've got the opportunity to hunt prairie grouse multiple days, it's a day not to go. I mean you can go, it's a day I wouldn't recommend. But when we're here, we're not again we're not going to go sit in the hotel room and look at each other. So we're going to get out and hunt, and and it paid off. We hunted less than a half a day, and Kyle got a limit, and I got a sharp tail out of it, and um, we've we've got a new pattern though and several more walkable windmills for the next morning
4: oh and it hey we truthfully with those conditions and going into it um, um we were kind of thinking if we kill a burger too this will be a bonus right so. i
3: told him i said if we kill a prairie chicken i would consider this yeah, a bonus today
4: yeah just knowing
3: was that bad yeah so. just just knowing how spooky and how jumpy they are in those conditions
4: So it worked out great. Had a good time and and, um, got some birds killed and went to the motel, spent the night there. And and we had this morning then, we had one last run at this. Of course, we knew getting up early, we were going to have cooler conditions, um, assuming the wind wind would die, which it did. I mean, you know, it's it's western Nebraska, the wind always blows, but it was certainly maybe 10 mile an hour wind this morning before sunrise. Yeah, it was pleasant. So we kind of had in mind we had a um, couple more windmills to check that we hadn't we hadn't been to yeah. um, gonna stick with the same pattern but one of the problems with only having first thing in the morning to hunt we needed to be on the road by about 10:30 today so we only had from you know sunrise wasn't even till 730 38 yeah. or something so we really only had about three hours to do this well, um, not all the birds go to the lek. But that's what we were keying on was these leks and this medium gray stuff around it. Um, well, first thing in the morning, they're actually out on that overgrazed yeah, pool table they're on stuff.
3: they're the look. so it's a, like Kyle said, a pool table, and you know they're out there, and they are—they're actually displaying. They're doing, they're—they're they're fighting. They're doing the dominant thing. They're displaying. They're making the sounds they're not doing it as intensely as they are in the spring when hens are on the legs but they're still doing it and they're doing it on a place of ground that looks like a pool table that they can see for a hundred yards in each direction so they're almost impossible to to, so if all of our birds were going to be there the the ones that we were going to hunt then you know it was going to be a little bit tough we didn't know how we were going to pull this off right first thing in the morning
4: if if you lived out here if you were a resident I I would either, there's a couple things you could do, and we've talked about it. It'd be kind of fun. We've never tried this. But you could get there in the dark. Yep. Now, a lot of times in the spring, the birds show up in the dark. So I don't know if this would work. If they showed up too early, you couldn't kill them coming in. Right. But you could almost, if some of them would fly in, they do, some of them walk in, some of them fly into these leks, wouldn't that be fun if they flew in when it was legal shooting time and you could be shooting them cupped up like ducks? Yeah. That, that would be interesting. I don't know if you could pull that off, but it would be, I'd be worth trying. But for us, where we're going to try to, you know, walk them up and hunt with dogs, really the first hour was not going to be ideal, but we were in a time crunch. We had to try to yeah. do something. Yeah. I mean, if I lived out here and I was going to walk them up, I wouldn't be out there at 730 in the morning because I know a lot of the birds are going to be on the lek, yeah. especially so, these males. I'd, I'd just wait and start mm-hmm. hunting at 8 30 or 9 yep. after they've done their little business let them disperse off the and,
3: let get in the taller yep. grass get approachable yeah uh, but we didn't have that that luxury so we roll up to within sight of the first windmill it's kind of down a little bowl we've so we, we thought well we're going to slip up to the windmill see if we can catch birds around the edge and we get fairly close and Kyle stops me and says whoa whoa I hear him. And sure enough, we could hear them whooping, it's an unmistakable sound, they whoop, they make a boom sound, and we got up there and we could could actually see them out there, on there. So um, our approach to the lek, then we knew that birds were there, so the best thing we did was we just tried to get up there and see if we could get close enough for a shot. And, and we were hoping
4: there might be some. Some of them were way out in the middle of this thing, you know, yeah, 100 was, yards. But we're hoping there's some that are closer to the edge.
3: Yeah, maybe in the grass a little bit.
4: We can see six or eight of them out there in the middle dancing around. and
3: whew. Yeah, there was... What thirty? They got up. Yeah, probably?
4: we were kind of in shock. Yeah, they, were they just burst, all over the place. Got up everywhere, and they were not at the edge. No. They were not in range. So,
3: so these birds fly off, and and most prairie grouse on the first flush, you really don't get to see them go down. They fly a long ways. That's their escape mechanism on this prairie. Is they don't settle out and like a covey of quail do, does within sight. They just keep going. Luckily. Birds on the lek this morning, they probably were going to come back, so they didn't go as far. We saw them kind of settle. We saw them go over a rise, and we didn't see them come out of it, so we knew they were probably there somewhere.
4: Yeah, and, you know, these birds um, probably act a little different than, than some public land birds, too. So, I mean, these birds aren't getting harassed. So, right. us walking up there and, and bumping them off of this lek, you know, they probably... They probably wonder what's going on cuz I'm sure the the rancher he normally drives right up there to check his his windmill and the water tank and yeah. everything but but still they're going to fly off and and probably I don't know I guess we could have tried it but again we were in a time crunch they probably we're going to fly back in yeah. there within yeah. the hour I'm sure they would have yeah to to get back to business and, uh, because we bumped them pretty much first thing yeah, in the it morning Yeah first then.
3: first light yeah
4: but but anyway, we had the direction they go, and and it and it pays off. Um,
3: yep, come over a rise, birds start to get up, wild. But this is is one thing I really want to stress with prairie grouse, and I've seen it with every species of prairie grouse that I've hunted. If birds get up wild and start popping up, there's usually always more birds that sit there. They do sort of a popcorn flush. So. If you see a bird that gets up wild or gets up ahead of you at the edge of range, hustle up there, and more times than not, I've seen this, way more times than not, there will be other birds that sit there and pop up, and you can get a shot. And that's exactly what happened here. There was, I don't know, four or five birds that started getting up long. We hustled to the bottom of this draw, and then sure enough, there was another bird that had set tight, and I was able to get it again it, i don't know how many times it happens with, with prairie grouse species that i've hunted every time i hunt with somebody new prairie chicken hunting i say hey if we see a flock that gets up let's hustle up there more times than not there'll be birds that sit tight i've, I've seen this happen so many times i've read about it heard about it it's just some kind of escape mechanism or, or something i don't know with prairie grouse i'm not sure why they do it but you know generally always be one that doesn't flush maybe two and so, sure enough, paid off this time.
4: Yep, worked out. Then I then I didn't have to hear about it anymore for short shooting him the yeah, day before. So right. now he's got a prey chicken. So
3: so I've got my prey chicken, my sharp tail, a blue grouse, and a sage grouse. Yep. So I've got the grand slam.
4: Now it's every man for himself anymore. I'll short shoot him. He can short <laughs> shoot me. We yeah. don't care. But no, anyway. So we go check a couple more windmills and and not much happening flush a couple birds wild yeah. but but not much happening and and then something pops up that that neither of us had ever had the we the landowner catches us and
3: yeah it was real lucky he saw us we passed him in the morning on the road and um he he didn't know what my truck looked like necessarily but he saw that i had a dog we had a dog box in the back and so he turned around and caught us and he said hey i've been meaning to get a hold of you guys he said i've got a, uh, uh, a pivot of alfalfa down here a few miles away, that I've been seeing birds in regularly. When you guys get done with your little prairie walk, he said, "Come down, meet me at my at my headquarters, and I'll run you up there to this pivot, and you can you can hunt the pivot." And so we look at each other and think, "Okay, why not?" I mean, he's seeing birds there on a regular basis. We've never hunted alfalfa pivots for prairie grouse, so we decide to walk do our windmill thing got a bird and then we said then we go well we got an hour left let's head down to the pivot so we get down there the guy meets us drives us right up shows us the pivot gives us some ideas again so much thanks and credit to the landowner that went out of his way on a monday morning when he probably had other things to do to show us where this pivot was and it was alfalfa it was a it was a pivot of alfalfa and orchard grass that was surrounded by native prairie Um, and one of the key things about it even though it wasn't what we were walking in wasn't native species it was orchard grass it was alfalfa but alfalfa is one of those plants that has billions of bugs in it for some reason insects love alfalfa it is a mecca for any game bird species Old or young but especially young the hens will take their broods there from turkeys to prairie grass to quail to pheasants they love alfalfa not necessarily because of its of its green leaves and they do eat that but because there's so many bugs in it it's so buggy it's great stuff
4: yep and so you know we're looking at this thinking well what makes sense these these birds probably come from the prairie around it and they probably just walk into the edges there's no point in being in the middle Um, they can just walk into this feed and and of course they're eating some of the greens too they're eating Mm -hmm. bugs and the greens and and uh, so this is a typical pivot it's going to cover you know 100 uh, about 160 acres so we're just going to walk a circle around this thing so we get again about 50 60 yards apart and I'm closer to the edge and and he's more to the uh, in, interior, and, and off we go. And
3: yeah, and again, remember, we're not hunting native prairie. We're actually hunting. We're in the alfalfa. In, in his alfalfa and orchard grass, which, which by field. the which by the
4: way, so the medium grade stuff that we were hunting around these windmills was about shin high. Maybe you know the tallest to be knee high. Told you that the little blue stuff was too thick. It was too tall. It had too much rain, or a lot of rain this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and that's. A key thing for prairie chickens you're looking for that um, oh that 12 15 inch you know maybe 18 inches tops yeah um, height they want to be able to see yeah absolutely
3: prairie grouse have to have vegetation that they can see out of they have to be able to see over it
4: well they're just getting ready to cut this alfalfa so it's perfect yep it's just about shin high. We look at the, and of course, he's been seeing birds here. So all of this makes, you know, why wouldn't we try this? We've just never done this yeah. before. We've never been in a situation that that had this, um, had a pivot like this in the middle of 15,000 acres of <laughs> prairie. Right. So so off we strike off and, um, oh, I don't know. We hadn't walked... Uh, probably four or five hundred yards. Yep. I mean, uh, I'm starting to wonder, but but he said he saw some birds here, and and um, one pops up right in front of me. Somehow I managed to not kill it. Yep. Um, its buddy gets up, and uh, somehow I managed to not kill it. So five shells later, I managed to not kill two m- prairie grouse. Managed to not shoot a double. When it first started, I thought, oh, here we go. After I missed the first one, I thought, well, I'll just shoot his buddy here, and Somehow I managed to not kill any. So making fun of his sharp tail, little escapade, at least he ended up finally getting it. Yep, yep. A little bit of karma got me.
3: Yep, yep. I, I again he a little bit of karma. He was being a little, you know, a little mouthy about the short shot and and really mouthy about the sharp tail. He really thought that was funny that I would yep. would go all that effort and finally finally scratch it down. But he same thing. But this time he comes up empty handed. Yeah. Right, or I have yeah. mine in hand. He, he doesn't. But that's hey. part of it. I don't yeah, know how right. many times <laughs> that'll happen. You make one of the most amazing long shots of your career, and the next point, you three shoot three times at a quail and miss it. Yeah, going straight yeah. away. It's just amazing. It's just, isn't it? It, it? I don't know what it is. You don't bear, don't bear it down. You think this is too easy? I, I, you lose your edge. I'm not sure what happens. Yeah, but it it happens.
4: Well, we continue along, and and luckily, I was thinking, "Wow, this is going to be a disappointing way to leave this trip." Because other than the blue grouse, you might have heard about that I whiffed at, um, this trip pretty much killed everything that yeah, that we I shot, put the yeah, gun barrel on. We shot <laughs> on. fairly
3: well this trip.
4: I've um, thought, "Wow, what a way to end this trip!" But we go on another quarter way around this thing, and uh, my short hair Harley locks up. I mean, rock solid locks up.
3: And like a, like a single quail was there. Yes, and
4: just like the end of his nose, yeah. thinking, no way.
3: Yeah, because this isn't <laughs> normal for prey chickens. I've seen that hunting them maybe a couple of times in my career.
4: Yeah, usually you'll get the high head point, yeah. right? and you the know, birds will
3: be 10 to 15, 20 yards away. Yeah,
4: and, and, of course, this green conditions, I wasn't even real sure. Normally you're not hunting so something so green, not sure what kind of sitting conditions they'd have anyway, yeah. you know? But I mean, he locks down, and so I killed that bird. Thank goodness. Yeah, it was a bird really, chicken. Really it, shameful. Yeah, it came right
3: it, out of there, and it yeah. it was one of those where it was so close to the dogs, and it was so close to to us that yeah, uh, wait, you had to wait for it to clear the dogs. Like always, you know, you got to be safety, you know, practice safety first, of course. And um, but you you did kill one off a point off your own dog, which was great.
4: Yeah, then so that way I didn't have to to end my Western hunt with a. A five <laughs> shell whiff on a yeah. double, so yeah. so we trade places now, right? Yeah, because so,
3: obviously these birds are closer to the edge, and i had been walking
4: further out in the field. I so. was the wheel man, and so we trade sides and don't walk very far.
3: And yep, one gets up, um, not get very home. far away, and I and I it doesn't it, dogs aren't around it. I almost step on it, um, so I made that shot, and yep. so we both ended up with the, a chicken out of that field. Um, yep ended and, up
4: with three chickens for the day yeah. for the morning and, and yeah from had, hunting
3: from about eight o'clock to yeah. 10 30.
4: yeah we only had two and a half hours so we so had we had three three um, more prairie chickens and then we hit the road It was a pretty good wrap so we're rolling now we're we're almost to lincoln so we're making good time but you know all in all it it turned out to be a a really good stop um, yeah hunting a place we'd never hunted and a neat ranch, and my goodness, just... If you're a prairie guy like we are, just seeing miles and miles yeah. and miles of contiguous prairie is just, yeah. it makes your heart feel good. It just, does, it, it makes
3: yeah. you feel really good because we come from a state where our prairie chicken numbers are at a critical level where that they could blink out and, and, and be gone with a couple of years of, of bad weather events. We're We're down to so few birds. In fact, I had birds in my district up until 2012, and uh, they finally blinked out. It was the the southernmost population of prairie chickens in our state. They were they were living in an 80-acre piece of grass. Everything else had been farmed. These birds were hanging on. I got to give them credit. They were trying to live and do their things in 80 acres. I felt so bad for them, and, and they they eventually blinked out. Um, so. To come from a state where prairie chickens are hanging on by a thread and they're state endangered in our state, to go to a state that is has abundant prairie chicken numbers, abundant sharp tail numbers, vast acres of, of range land that's well managed, well taken care of, prairie chickens in Nebraska appear very secure at this point.
4: Yes, particularly where we were at. Yeah. These this has got to be as one of the more secure yeah, it's, populations it, that yeah, I've ever been around.
3: I've 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 trapped or hunted prairie chickens in the Flint Hills of Kansas, the Smoky Smoky Hills of Kansas, um, and now Nebraska. And it's the highest density of prairie chickens that I've seen. Um, and it's and it's because. And again, I don't know how many times we can stress this. It's about usable space. Everywhere that we looked, there was usable space for prairie chickens. And yep. They were thriving there um, yeah. because of that usable space. Now, the weather conditions were a little bit different. They had a rainy, they had a rainy summer, so brood production probably wasn't great. Uh, in fact, I think we only killed one juvenile prairie chicken this uh, of the of the ones that we killed. And part of that is because we were targeting leks, yeah. which had mostly males, adult males around them. But I did harvest a, a juvenile prairie chicken out of the alfalfa. So it it looks like production may not have been great, but that's not a result of, that's not a function of the landscape. That's just a weather thing. That's what game birds deal with. Uh, It's vast areas of usable space. Game birds are a landscape species. We always talk about quail, Kyle and I do, and people try to manage quail on small areas. They try to break, they force them into a box. Quail are a landscape species. They do best at larger landscapes. Same thing with pheasants. Same thing with prairie grouse. So, think about these landscapes, and when you're when you're thinking about upland game birds and management, we need to be thinking but larger scale than we normally think about.
4: Oh, absolutely. And and you know the whole talking about them blinking out in Missouri and blinking out even in our own districts here. Right. We're biologists and we're admitting that they've blinked out in our district. Well. Um, it's a it's a scale is the issue right so we've got some prairie you know i manage a couple prairies that are a couple sections and i got some prairies that are a half section that that end cutting it no (laughs) that we're talking thousands of acres of contiguous prairie to sustain a population and missouri just doesn't have that even where we do have it we've got a three thousand acre prairie up around you know el dorado springs in missouri and and that's not cutting it the the population is is about to be gone from from those areas as well so it's just a scale thing we've lost too much habitat in Missouri and and they're just we still got a few they're stayed endangered future isn't bright but but on these huge landscape scales um they're they're hanging on and and doing quite well actually they're thriving here and it's not just chickens I mean, just grassland birds in general. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. We had, I've never seen so many meadowlarks. Yeah, western meadowlarks oh. everywhere. There were There's horned larks on the, on the short yep. stuff up uh, at yeah. the lakes. They like stuff really. We had other, I don't know, different just, kinds of sparrows. I'm yeah. sure there's.
3: There were some birders that would have been able to figure it out. I'm sure a, there's Henslow sparrows if yep. they're the far. you know. Had the, a great time out there doing Dogs. birding for yeah. for sparrows. There was all kinds of sparrows jumping up. There Dogs were bur- would even get
4: birdy on yep. them. Yep, burrowing
3: yep. owls in the prairie dog town. So, these these large intact landscapes really hold the key to conservation successes because they, they have everything that these species need in fairly close proximity. These large landscapes, they, they have all the resources that these animals need and um, it, it, was really, it was really encouraging to see, on this trip, landscapes from forested high sage uh, interfaces and plateaus with blue grouse, to huge, vast basins and plateaus of sage that had abundant. We picked up horned lizards, we picked up all kinds of different stuff, badgers, you know, the whole, the whole gamut of stuff from pronghorn, mule deer all kinds of birds out there that i have no idea what we saw Ferruginous hawks plenty of them and then to move into the sandhills and to see another intact landscape full of game full of, uh, of life um it was great it was it was so encouraging
4: yep yep sure is and, and really enjoyable it turned out to be a great trip um not just for the harvest we were lucky we had some pretty good harvest yeah. but but just to see these landscapes and to see them this intact we just don't get to see a lot of that back back where we're at in the midwest and of course as you go east lots of times it even gets worse as far as grasslands where you're gonna have less and less of of that so these grassland birds you know it's been a big deal here lately um, audubon's released yep. a bunch of information and they're the most imperiled Uh, suite of birds there is. Forest forest birds aren't doing as bad, wetland birds aren't doing as bad, the grassland birds are the the ones struggling the worst. They're the Uh,
3: most imperiled species, suite of species you know we always hear about um, tropical rainforest and save the rainforest and and losing rainforest when that's important but we are losing grasslands at dramatic rates we lost a lot of grasslands in the past and grassland loss is still going on and um, We need to really start thinking about and 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 teaching our kids as much about the North American grasslands as we teach them about the Brazilian rainforest.
4: Absolutely. Kids
3: should know that these grasslands in North America are critically important.
4: And it's not just birds, it's all these species. It's carbon sequestration, you know, all the climate change buzzword and everybody wants you to plant trees everywhere and, and save the well these prairies sequester more carbon than, yeah. than the forest, but nobody ever talks about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just, just an amazing environment, an amazing landscape to be in. Yeah. Um,
3: you yeah, got I don't have anything. The only thing I have, um, before we wrap up is, um, uh, Matt and Adam will probably be posting some pictures of our hunts on mm-hmm. their landing legacy, Facebook or, or Instagram. Um, And also, Kyle and I are available as habitat consultants for upland game bird species for other upland habitat. We we would love to come anywhere in the country to visit your property. If you're interested in anything from bobwhite quail to prairie grouse, we have the experience, we have the knowledge, we have the know-how to help you improve your habitat. And improve populations on your property. So, if you're interested in that, Kyle and I would love to come visit you. Just get a hold of us at info at landinglegacy.tv.
4: Yep. All all right, I think that's it. We're yep. gonna roll on down the highway, and we'll catch you
3: next time. See ya. Yep.
1: Yeah.